Hi, this is David Olavsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Olavsky Show. And whether you're watching with our friends over at Tony Time, or wherever you watch or listen to your podcast, a lot of people listen. Apparently, we have over a thousand subscribers on Spotify of people who just listen. I don't know what any of that means, but it certainly sounds impressive. And uh, it's amazing how many subscribers there are just uh, on different uh, platforms and things. But anyway, wherever you listen or watch your podcast, as always, we're happy to have you along. Well, it's Elul, and um, a service that a Baruch provides for me. Somewhere around the end of Av and the beginning of Elul, to help get me into the mode. I'll give you an example. I don't remember how many years ago this was, but it was towards the end of Av, I was driving. And for some reason, uh, this uh, cop pulls me over. I, I wasn't doing anything. Let me see your license registration, you know. Fine. Now you're hitting the wrong stuff. She says, your insurance was never paid. You've been driving for almost a year, because I, I take care of it in September. This is at the end of August. You've been driving for a year without insurance. I said, no. When I, I went to America and I gave it to somebody to pay. She shows me, says it was never paid. That's like a major ticket. I have to go to court. That's not, you don't just pay it, fine. And uh, afterwards, I asked the person, they said, oh, yeah, I, I forgot to do it. And, uh, and then I said, I gave you a check. And I said, yeah, I, I never cashed it. So, okay. <laughs> so I have to go to court now. Uh, and I've been driving for a year without insurance. I, I, said, I said to the judge, why would I want to drive without insurance? I get into an accident, you know. Anyway, it's a terrifying thing to go to court. A terrifying thing. But that's down here with when it doesn't mean anything. Imagine you're going for Melech Malchim Amlachim. You're going to be judged on your life. There was an, another August when my brother was visiting. And I was literally, not figuratively, people say literally when they mean figuratively, I was literally on my street two houses away from my house. And my phone rings. I didn't have my phone in the in the little speaker. You know, today it's it's all Bluetooth. Back then you had to put your phone into the little speaker slot, you know, because I was just coming back from shul. And uh, I see my brother's calling, and I pick up the phone, and I hear a siren. There's a cop right behind me, two houses away from my house. And I uh, pull over, and he. Uh, and I said to him, I said, look, I have a, a speaker here. I just was coming back from Shul. My brother just called me. He's in from America, you know. He says, I have to give you a ticket. Now, I have never in my life talked my way out of a ticket. Nothing. Nothing. In fact, if there's a whole line of cars that are parked someplace you're not allowed to park, and I park there too, I'll get a ticket. Nobody else will, but I will. Kodesh Baruch Hu works hard to keep me on the straight now. And I remember this was just before Elo. It says, I said, Atolo mechuyav, atoyochol. Zolo otoodavar. 
You don't have to give me a ticket. You can give me a ticket. The power is in your hands. You could say, okay, I'm going to give you a ticket. You did something wrong. I see you two houses away. I see that you just picked up the phone then. I see you weren't using the phone. You know, but I could be a stickler and I could ask for din. And I could ask for din. I said, but when you do din, it's din for me. It's din for you. It's din for your family. It's din for all of Klai Yisrael. I think the last thing we need now in Israel at this point, this was during the Lebanon War, shows you how long ago this was. The last thing we need now is more din. We need more judgment. I said, well, you have the power to do Rachamim. You could say, I see that you made a mistake. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to give you a ticket. But the power is in your hands. You have din, you have Rachamim. You could do whatever you want. You don't have to do either one. And the guy said, okay, I'll let it go. Don't do it again. The lady cop who was in the car goes, Ma? <laughs> I burst into tears. I couldn't believe it because I never talked my way out of a ticket. And I thought, now I'm going to go into Rosh Hashanah. I have to talk my way, you know, out of Rakesh <laughs> Baruch. I got to give him the same argument. So you can imagine uh, how these things tend to set the tone. Well, yesterday, uh, I had to wash my car. Sometimes you want to wash your car, you could wash your car, but I had, without realizing it, parked under a tree. And uh, many of the birds that nest in the tree do not understand uh, good hygiene. And uh, they used my car for uh, as a bathroom. And I had to I had to wash my car. Now, that had happened a week before when I got gas, but the line was so long. And I said, you know, I'm not going to wait online. But now it was a week. I'm sitting with this stuff, you know, this acid in this stuff uh, and, and pigeon droppings and bird droppings. You know, it, 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 it burns away. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, during the 70s, during the economic crisis in uh, New York, so they cut back whatever they could. And one of the things they cut back on was bridge maintenance. So every year they're supposed to scrape off all the old paint and then prime it and then paint it. So instead what they did is every other year they would just paint it without scraping it first. The problem is that there's a lot of pigeon droppings and pigeon dropping has uric acid in it. So they just painted over all of it and eventually it wore away the cables and they had to rebuild the Williamsburg Bridge, which is a lot more expensive. But uh so I got this stuff in my car. Anyway... By guess, there's like four cars in front of me. And uh, I'm waiting online. And this, what I would normally call an older fellow, but now he's probably my age, you know. I just, I don't think of myself as an older fellow, but probably about that, you know. And he indicates to this younger guy if he could cut in front of him, and he said yes. And so he pulls in. Okay, so the two cars go before him, and the guy who is in charge of the car wash uh, says, go back to the end of the line. And he says, no. The guy let me in. He says, no, you cut off other people. Go to the back of the line. And the guy says, no. He says, then I'm not washing your car. He says, okay. And the guy gets out, and he stands there. And the two guys go into their little hut where the car washer people, you know, turn on the loan machine. 40 minutes in a 100-degree temperature. 
and the line is getting longer and longer and longer. This guy won't move his car, and the car wash people won't wash it. 40 minutes. And everyone keeps coming over. What's going on? What's going this? What's that? Nobody's budging. No one's going to make a move. Finally, after 40 minutes, the, uh, the uh, car wash people, you know, they, uh, they cracked first. And they washed his car, and then the line moved through. I was two cars behind him. This made a deep impression on me because, you know, this guy could have turned around and gone to the end of the line. It would have cost him less time. The car wash people could have just washed his car and they would have done another 10 cars in the 40 minutes that they were sitting there waiting. I couldn't leave because I had to wash my car. I had left the week before because the line was too long. I'm sitting there for 40 minutes in a 100-degree temperature. And I realized because Baruch Hu was sending me a message. What was the message, I think, Akash Baruch Hu was sending to me before the Yom Narayim? Ki en anu aze panim ukshay aref loimar lifanecha Hashem elokeinu velokeva seinu tzadikim anachna velokhatanu avu anachna velokhatanu chatanu. We are not so mechutzif and so stiff-necked to say we didn't do anything wrong. But I'm telling you up front that us and our parents and our grandparents have done things wrong. Why are we dragging our parents into this? Because very often, you know, people uh, do things because that's what they do. My, my daughter has this wonderful routine she, she teaches in seminars. And she's like, I don't know. That's what we do in my house. You know, in my house, everybody makes fun of each other. I mean, it's what we do. It's what we do in our house, you know. Everybody curses, you know. It's what we do in our house. I don't know. That's what everybody does. <laughs> but when I came to those words, we are not so stiff-necked. I may have mentioned this once upon a time, but there was a tukufa when people told light bulb jokes. This was back when you were allowed to say offensive jokes. Today, of course, you'll get canceled and, and blocked on Twitter and Facebook and, and all these other kind of things. I don't even know them all. But uh, um, but uh, people used to tell what were called Polish jokes because Polish people have a reputation for not being uh, particularly intelligent. And uh, so people would tell Polish jokes. You can't do those anymore, of course, but... Once upon a time, you could. And one of the jokes that they used to tell was, you know, how many Polish people does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer was four. One to hold the light bulb and three to turn him around. That was the joke. I don't know why this caught the popular imagination, but it gave rise to all kinds of light bulb jokes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, in, in Poland, they tell a joke. How many Americans does it take to change a light bulb? One. <laughs> you know, how many this does it take? I mean, that does it take to change a light bulb? All these light bulb jokes. There were even from ones that they that they would do. You know, how many Jewish American princesses does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to get the diet coke and one to call daddy. And so okay, there were different ones like this. You know. Um, how many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. I'll sit in the dark, you know. Uh, 
um, how many breasts of a chassidim does it take to change a light bulb? That's it. There's only one light bulb. When it goes out, you don't change it. <laughs> a whole bunch of these. But there was one, because there's always wisdom. You have to look everywhere to find wisdom. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, but only if the light bulb wants to change. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant observation. Yeah? I remember hearing a schmooze from a Tzvi Kushalevsky during Elul, when the Pesach says, Kilo b'ashamayim hi v'lo me'evel ayam, it's not too far from you. Says Rashi, it's talking about Torah. Torah is not so far. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to go in search of the truth. Kosh Baruch makes it very close and very easy for you. The Ramban says it's talking about tshuva. Tshuva is very easy to do. So ask him, but it's not. You see, it's not. It's hard. It's hard to change. So he brought the difference between Shaul and David. The way the Torah presents the stories, David's story was much worse than Shaul. Of course, uh, the Gemara says anyone who thinks that David was chayte is uh, making a mistake, so you can't understand the simple way, but the way the Torah presents it is that he sleeps with a married woman and then has a husband knocked off, which is pretty serious. Yeah. Shaul didn't kill the king of Amole because he wanted to leave the schus for Shmuel and Novi to be able to do it. That was his chayte. And yet Shaul is not forgiven, and he loses the Malchus. And David is forgiven for what appears to be a much more serious crime. So, Rebbe says, read the story over there in Shmuel. Shmuel comes to Shaul, and Shaul says to him, Oh, Baruch Hashem, you're here. I did everything that Hashem said. He says, you did everything? He says, yeah. He says, I don't know. Hashem told you to kill everything, including the animals. I hear animals. Okay, the people wanted to take, you know, some of the best of the animals to bring his korbanos. I, I wasn't going to tell them no, but, but I did everything that Hashem said. The answer is that when Shaul was confronted, he said, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't, I don't even understand what you're talking about. I, I did everything Hashem said. Nasan Anavi comes to David. He said, there was a poor man, and he had a little sheep, and he fed the sheep from his table, and he took care of him, and then this rich man had lots of sheep, but he took the poor man's sheep, and he, and he killed it. So he says, wow, that's, that's really rotten. That guy deserves to die. But, but instead, the halacha is that you have to pay four times. And Nasan Anavi swings at David in front of everyone and says, that's you, David. You're the one. You're the man who did this. Now, Mustama David knew the Gemara that said David didn't chayte. He says, what are you talking about? First of all, he wrote her a get before he went out to battle. So she wasn't married. Second of all, he was a murdered by Malchus. Third of all, yeah, he had plenty of explanations. Instead, he says, chatosi, and there's a psik. A psik in the middle of the Pesach. The Pesach stops in the middle of the Pesach. Why? 
Because he was supposed to say, but he was so pained, he couldn't even get out the words. But you got a lot of explanation, I know. But a Navi is coming to me, telling me I did something wrong. So I'm going to try to talk my way out of it. So said Reb Tzvi, doing tshuva is easy. Recognizing you have to do tshuva is the problem. And he told a famous story with Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Sheh, where he sees a bacher doing El. And he says, so you're doing tshuva? He says, yeah, of course it's El. He says, uh, what are you doing tshuva for? You know, you know, Vavis. Like what? So, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've done a Vavis. You know? He says, well, let, let's go down the list. A Vodazara? No, I never did a Vodazara. Oh, good, Baruch Hashem. Shvich is dumber? Did you ever kill anybody? No, I never. Oh, Baruch Hashem. Gilead Raya? He says, oh, chas v'shalab, you know. Lashon Hara? Well, yeah, I mean, I have spoken Lashon Hara, but it was always for a toelis. It was for a useful purpose. Bittel huh. Torah? Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I always had a cheshven, what I had to do. And, it, uh, and he goes down the line. Until the guy has no choice. He, he recognizes that things wrong. He goes, no. Quotes the Pasuk. There's, there's nobody in this world who's a tzaddik and doesn't do something wrong. I mean, everybody does something wrong. So Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Sheh looks at him and says, Russia, you're never going to do tshuva. Because you've never done anything wrong. He says, Shvich Yisdamim, you never embarrass somebody in public? That's murder. Gilarayas, you never looked at something you weren't supposed to look at? Sil Sharm says that's Gilarayas. You were Mavatul Taira. You, you, you spoke Lashon Hara, and the only reason you didn't serve a Vodazara is because the Anjagadesukadola were Mavatul the Taiva for it, or you would have done that too. But you're never going to do Chuva because you never did anything wrong. Only if the light bulb wants to change. You have to recognize that I've done something wrong. We're not so brazen that we're going to stand there and hold up a line of people for 40 minutes because I won't turn around my car and get back in line. I'm not such a kshayorif. I'm not, I'm not such a, I'm not so brazen. I'm not such a mechutzif. Such a mechutzif. I was, uh, learning in a koilo in the morning, balabatim. And there was this older fellow, he was a rav. He'd been in uh, a Torah for many years. And he comes in, he's very upset. He goes, I don't understand you Americans. He says, uh, I had to go get something at the store. There was no parking, so I double parked. I wasn't there for so long. And I come out, and this guy is waiting in the car, and he starts yelling at me. He says, you blocked me in. So what? So you had to wait 15 minutes. What's the big deal? He didn't even stop to think. Maybe I inconvenienced this person. Gezel's man is also called Gezel. You stole 15 minutes of this man's life. He had to drive his kids to school. Maybe he had to go to a doctor's appointment. What's he getting upset at me for? I may have told this story. I was in shul. I sit up front because I, I want to be able to hear the davening. And I know the talkers go towards the back. 
Anyway, this young guy, it looks like he had just gotten married. His friend, who's a barcha, comes over and they're schmoozing. They're schmoozing through the Meshaberach, they're schmoozing through Birch's Haftarah. And when the Haftarah starts, they're still schmoozing. I can't hear the Haftarah. I said, Slicha. Yeah, I can't hear. So the Bacha goes back to the back, you know, where he sits. And the Avrech turns and looks at me and goes, Oy vey! I was definitely old enough to be his father. I don't know if I was old enough to be his grandfather, but definitely old enough to be his father. Looks at me. As is upon him. Oy vey! I said to him, Oz ponim le Gehenim. It says in Pirkei Avos. Mechutzofim go to hell. He turned around. And my son-in-law was in shul. They said to me afterwards, I was davening that he would turn around because I saw you were just warming up. <laughs> and I was. I had a lot more to say. It's bad enough that you're sitting there talking. To Go outside and talk. What do I care? I don't care if you daven. I don't care if you listen to Laning. I don't care if you listen to Aftar. I don't care what you do. But I'm telling you that it's bothering me. When I used to teach in seminary. I had three rules. I said, make sure your phone is turned off because when it rings, it's very disturbing to everybody. There's no talking and there's no gum chewing. And I said, because the I said, I don't care if you, if you put your head down and go to sleep as long as you don't snore. I don't care if you doodle. I don't care if you walk out of the room and don't sit in the class. I mark you in for attendance. Go outside. You guys want to talk? Go outside and talk. But you have to sit here and talk. We're not so brazen-faced. And we're not so stiff-necked and stubborn that we would hold up a whole row of people for 40 minutes for a principe. I asked one of the people who was ahead of me, there was only two cars ahead of me, I said, what, why is there a problem with the machine? He goes, principe. It's a principle. What's the principle? He, he cut the line, they won't wash it. He says, I'm not moving. You're going to wash my car. We were going on vacation with the kids once. And for us, a vacation is a major big deal. You know, going to a hotel, you know, uh, hotels are expensive. You know, the time is important. So this guy comes and uh, we get into the van and it stalls out on Krishachat. And so, of course, it's 100 degrees outside. I got a bunch of little kids in the, in the van and it's hot and they're crying. And, that, and somehow he manages to pull over to the side. And he's waiting for a tow truck. The tow truck comes. He says he wants him to give him a charge to charge the car battery. The guy says, okay, I want such an amount. He says, I'm not going to pay you that. So the two of them sit down on, on, the, on the divider. They each lit up a cigarette, and they're just sitting. And we're sitting in the car with a bunch of screaming children. So... After 10 minutes of this, I held down a van. I said, how much do you want to take us to, I think it was there at Sion at the time. He says, okay. I said, fine. I took out luggage. I got in the car. He started throwing the luggage at me, screaming, yelling. I said, you give us a van that's broken. You won't even get it fixed. You're going to sit there and handle with this guy and just sit here. 
to wait each other out while me and my children are sitting here sweltering in the van? Principe. It's an amazing concept. And so we come to Kush Baruch and we say, well, you know, I did anything wrong. Okay, I'm not perfect. I, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. You know what I mean? But what, what do you want to do tshuva for? Like, like, like I did bad stuff? Is there anything wrong with me? I'm a great guy. Din. Din means that we get judged. And it means that there's a recognition, first and foremost, that I did something wrong. And that's the hard part of tshuva, is admitting that you have a problem. Once you can recognize you have a problem, then you can start to address it. Then you could, then you could, uh, you know, co- try to come up with some way to solve it. But if, like, the young man said to him, Yitzhak Isaac Shah, I never did anything wrong. Everything I did, I have an answer for. I, 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 I can fam for, I can give an answer for it. So then what happens? Moshe Shapiro once, there was some issue. And he said to me, David, Altiyah Akshan, he said to me. <laughs> don't be stupid, don't be stubborn. Yeah? Dig in your heels. Dig in your heels. So that's what we have to say. That's what we have to say before Kaddish Baruch Hu, if we want to do tshuva. We're not so mechutzif and so stubborn as to tell you we never did anything wrong. Yeah, we've done things wrong. And therefore we have to uh, figure out how we're going to change this. But the first step is a hakora that we made mistakes, we've done things wrong. Yes, we have sinned. Once you do that, then you can start to change. But without that recognition, you can't do anything. So Mirza Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will soften our heart and unstiffen our neck and make us a little less brazen so that we can stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, we have done bad things and uh, we want to become better people. And once we have that recognition, we can go on and do it. Okay. And that brings us to the question and answer portion of our program. Banish Benjamin asks, do personality tests like Dr. Young's measure the actual midas that a person is born with? Do these tests correspond at all with Jewish hashkafa? So there's a woman, Miriam Adahan, who put out a book, um, about personality types and assessments. And um, uh, she uh, she said that she did it based on a note in Young's journal uh, that he used to set it different up. And it's basically you assign people letters. And people are combinations. So either you're an introvert or you're uh, outgoing, you're this, you're that. There's all kinds of different things. And you assign letters to it. And she's very careful to stress um, that uh, 
this is not an absolute method. This is just a way of trying to understand people. However, my wife went to some Emmet meetings, and people would talk about their husband or their children. They go, oh, he's such a WD-40. <laughs> he's such a, you know, uh, you know, C-3PO. I don't know what it was. You know, they would, they would immediately assign them these shorthand things. Now, the Gemara says clearly that, that there are certain traits that you're born with. It could have to do with your mazel. It could have to do with what hour of the day you were born. And it gives an example. If you were born under Mars, which is the blood planet, so you have a tendency towards blood. And so, uh, you know, you, um, um, you know, if you're an average person, you'll become a butcher. If you're a tzaddik, you'll become a moil. You know, if you're a rusher, you'll become a murderer. Yeah. So the fact that you have this particular mida, it means you can use it. But definitely people are born with certain midos. There's no question about it. Whether or not you can determine what those midos are through some method, I'm not sure. There was a time when you could. There, there were people who understood what we today call astrology. But, but today, you know, uh, my birthday is January 12th. So I used to think I was a Capricorn. And people I knew who were into astrology says, well, that makes sense because you're such a Capricorn. And they listed all the reasons I was a Capricorn. At some point, I realized that my Hebrew birthday is Shvat, so I'm really uh, an Aquarius. So I told him, oh, as it turns out, I'm really an Aquarius. He goes, well, that makes sense. You're such an Aquarius. And they listed all the reasons. My wife, uh, who had the book on you know personality uh, traits, she started doing it with me. And when she was done, she says, this doesn't make any sense. You have all the letters. <laughs> because I'm a complex individual. And to try to reduce me to a bunch of letters is really very difficult. Yeah? Um, because people are complicated. I always say when I try to understand people, I say that you know, the Chazal say, if you save one life, it's like you saved an entire world. Because a person is an entire world. I said, that means that people are as complicated as the hardest sugya you ever worked on, on a piece of Gemara. You have to learn people up. You have to find the kashas and try to find the terutsim and understand what the svaras are and why people are the way they are. And to try to reduce them based on these kind of things is very hard. And that the problem is, as I saw when my wife went to this meeting, is once you do that, it's very easy to label people with those labels that you give them. So is there a method of being able to understand it? Of course there are. You can see there are certain people who are lazy and certain people who are hyper and certain people who are phlegmatic and certain people who are angry. And there are certain inbred midos that a person has to work on, but you'll I think to come up with a method uh, shorthand to be able to figure out is going to be a lot more difficult. Anonymous asks, I was wondering if the Rav can explain the concept of Kiddush HaChodesh with messengers, especially on Rosh Hashanah. Did that mean that everyone was working as if it were a regular day and then the Shluchim come and suddenly it became Yontif and everyone has to blow shofar? No. <laughs> Um Suffolk, they would keep the day as a yantav. 
if it turns out the messenger didn't come, then they would keep the second day as Yantav. And that's why that even in Eretzrael, there are two days Yantav. That's the reason why second day Yantav of Rosh Hashanah is not like any other day. Because if you're in Chutzlaretz and you have two days Yantav, why? Because the messengers did not reach it. And if you live someplace where the messengers were not going to get to you by Erev Yantif, then you had to keep two days as a suffix because you just didn't know. So, um, uh, so when they, um, uh, would do it, so you know, first day Sukkot, second day Sukkot, Shmini Atzerah Simchas first day Pesach, seventh day Pesach, you make Shechiyonu on both days, there's no question. But you know, Rosh Hashanah is a suffix. Is it considered two separate days or one long day? And that's why we always have the new fruit thing that you have to do in order to say Shachiyano on the second night because, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're not sure if it's one long day. But uh, they definitely kept it. But maybe I'll say a quick word on this. Mikhtam uh, Yo says that it almost never happened that the, they didn't know when Rosh Hashanah was during the first base of Mikdash. They kept one day Rosh Hashanah. They knew when it was. And he says the reason is because the first day of Rosh Hashanah is for the Adam HaShalem, the person who's the perfect person that you're judging. And that's the person who gets judged in the first day of Rosh Hashanah. But when Klai Yisrael started to drop in the time of the second base of Mikdash, so we had to be metakein that we ended up with two days of Rosh Hashanah. And the Mikhtam Yo says that the second day was to see if you were roy to be Meshamesh, the other Meshalim. If you could help out the other Meshalim. That's why I'm always careful to uh, bid for the Kohen Aliyah on the second day. Because I know I'm not the other Meshalim. So I don't need the Aliyah the first day, but the second day I want it. Somebody said to me once, look, I'm clearly not the other Mashalim, so why do I bother going to Shul the first day? I'm not being judged then. Uh, only the second day. I said, because on the second day, you want to see if you're roy to be Mashamesh, the other Mashalim, if you can serve the perfect person. How do you think the perfect person's going to feel when he shows up to Shul and there's no minion? Because everybody stayed home and said, well, I'm not there. You want to show Kurdish Baruch Hu that you're there to help him out. That's got to be your, your goal in that case. Anonymous asks, upon entering a newsman, can you give some insight on how to avoid burnout, especially when starting with so much enthusiasm? Goals. You have to have goals. Now, there's a famous expression, I don't know who coined it or where it goes from, but a masmid is not somebody who learns 24 hours a day. A masmid is somebody who learns 60 minutes an hour. Meaning, when I'm learning, I'm learning. I don't need all extra things necessarily. But what I have to do, I have to do. Rav Gans tells the story that he brought his son to the stipler to get a bracha. That uh, before his bar mitzvah, that he should be a tamachach. He says, I'll give you a bracha, but how are you going to become a tamachach? What's your plan? Poor kid's 13 years old, man. <laughs> The staff said, I'll tell you what to do. You need X amount of time to daven, X amount of time to sleep, X amount of time to, you know, to go to the bathroom and wash up and to eat your meals. He went through everything. He says, that leaves you 
with 12 hours a day. He says, I guarantee you that if you spend 12 hours a day learning from now until you get married, you'll be a Tamachach. Now, person's got to be honest. Not everybody can handle 10 hours a day. So if you do four hours of a morning Seder and four hours of an afternoon Seder and two hours of a night Seder, that might be enough for me. I started Yeshiva Gedola. I was coming from a co-ed uh, day school where we had an hour and a half of Gemara. And now I was suddenly thrust into a situation of doing a whole day of Gemara. So for me, my goal was just to see if I could sit there and not just run out of the room. <laughs> I was working on what they call zitzfleisch, just sitting there. Of course, with my ADD, which had not been diagnosed, and my dyslexia and everything else, it was very hard for me to learn. But I said, at least I'm going to stay here. That's my goal. I'm going to sit in the base medrash um, for the amount of time that I'm supposed to be here. But I tell you, I was watching the clock. It was hard for me. So make sure you get enough sleep, because people in dorms don't, because they stay up schmoozing. Make sure you get exercise. When you have a break, go for a walk. If you're in better shape, go for a run. Get out a little bit. Get some fresh air. Exercise. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind. It's good for your soul. And uh, and don't eat junk. Eat healthy as much as you can. And uh, And that's it. And if you see that you're starting to crash, so switch to something. Yeah, do a little chumash, do some halacha, do something else that, that gives you a chance to rest your mind. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, but they say with Gifter, when he was really exhausted and he couldn't concentrate in his learning, he would do infinite mathematics. That's what he would relax with. What's infinite mathematics? How many points are there between two and three? Infinite. How many points between three and four? Infinite. How many between two and four? Two times infinity. And you can multiply infinities. I don't know how it works. That's not what I do for uh, enjoyment and, and entertainment. You know? But uh, listen to music. Do, do what you need in order to maintain yourself. Now, this is not a leap year. So there's only one other, you know. And like I say, keep your eye on the ball. What do I want to accomplish this month? How do I want to get there? And try to work on that. Uh, I will do one more. Hana G asks, if an adult is doing something you think isn't safe, i.e. young people playing in the front yard without supervision, ignoring doctor's recommendations for a young child's uh, nutrition, uh, is it ever your place to get involved uh, with a parent or an in-law or a sibling? If so, any suggestions how to do it in such a way that it will be received? Oh, boy. The first answer is yes. How the best way to go about it is, I'm not sure. I was at the Aguda Convention, and there was a atrium. So the, uh, the talks were taking place in the ballrooms, which were two floors up. And there was this, like, uh, atrium, like a, um, an overhang a balcony, whatever you want to call it there. And there was um, 
plants and, and things like that so that you wouldn't get too close to the edge. And this kid went into the things and was playing right up at the edge. I saw at least five people tell the woman who was talking to somebody, your kid's too close to the edge. It's okay, I'm watching him. Sure enough, he fell. Oh, a lot of Hatzalah people there, they ran over. I don't know what happened in the end. I didn't, I didn't follow up on it. But five people told her, your kid is playing right at the edge. She didn't care. She didn't care. Um, I've seen this. I've seen this where people are irresponsible. I live here in Harnof. If you know Harnof at all, so Rechov Scholz and there's a drugstore and a hardware store. This woman double parked her car to go into one of those two stores with the car running and a bunch of little kids in the car. Now, when I lived in Farakaway, we had a garage that, you know, you came into the driveway and you went down to get into the garage. And we had been away and we came back. No kids were in the car. And uh, the car was running, you know. And a uh, neighbor came over to say hello. So I got out to say hello to the neighbor. One of my kids climbed in the front seat and moved the car into drive. So Baruch Hashem, it was just going into the garage and it smacked into a pole and my water main broke. And, okay, but nobody was hurt. You hear you have a car running with a bunch of kids in it right in front, double parked? And I said to her, when she came out, I said, this is unbelievably dangerous. One of your kids could have put the car, okay, ta-da. So, if you think a kid is in a dangerous situation, that there's some form of abuse that's taking place, or in serious neglect. When I was running NCSY, so one of the chapters, you know, we did a region-wide uh, fundraiser where we got these... Um, chocolate bars that uh, you sell and you get a certain commission from it, etc. And, you know, it was a fundraising. Anyway, this one girl, um, she was given X number of bars and she told the chapter advisor, I didn't sell them, I ate them. She says, but we gave you like 12 bars, you know. She says, yeah, I know, but there's no food in the house. So they check out. The mother's an alcoholic. There's a string of guys who come into the house. It's serious neglect. So we went to social services and we had her taken out of the house and put with a firm family in foster care. And she said, you guys saved my life. There's a horrible book. It's a series of three books. Called the child uh, called it. Second one is called Lost Boy. The third one is a man named Dave. About one of the worst child abuse stories uh, in America. This mother starved him, beat him, gassed him, stabbed him, burnt him. I mean, which he didn't do to this kid. And eventually, the school was able to get him out of that and into foster care. But uh, but he said, you know, he ran away from home once because it was so horrible, and the cop brought him back home. 
says, one time my mother like kicked me in the teeth and I fell to the ground and I was all bloody and, and I saw in the window the neighbor was watching. No one said anything. No one did anything. But eventually there was one teacher who became proactive and saved this kid's life. So if it's you're the person who wants to go and yell at the candy man who gives a lollipop to the children, I think you're being overzealous. But if you see a dangerous situation, then I think you're have to say something. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to my website, rabielowski.com. You can leave a comment. You can send an email. You can sponsor an episode. You can sign up for one of our online shiurim. And until next time, I am David Olowski, and this is The Rabbi Olowski Show. It's The Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode. And we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's The Rabbi Orlovsky Show. On RabbiOrlovsky.com Torah, anytime, YouTube, and more. It's Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simba, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Till next time, till we meet again. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. show.